Hello and welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. Juan Stewart always wanted to convert his interest in animals into his profession, and he was successful at becoming a vet. Once he reached this marker, unexpected challenges arose and the stress of shelter work started to wear him down and burn him out. But things all changed one day when Quan helped treat a homeless man's dog and saw firsthand how very much it meant to the pair. For over a decade now, he's dedicated endless hours roaming Los Angeles streets and connecting with unhoused people to provide free vet services for their animals. This led to creating his nonprofit, Project Street Vet, which he runs with his brother, Ian. Quan also has a new book out, What It Takes to Save a Life, A Veterinarian's Quest for Healing and Hope. The book details his journey and what he's noticed about the strength of relationships between dogs and their unhoused human companions. Juan, thank you so much for joining us today at Dog Save the People. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Before we started the recording, you and I were talking and I just started crying because the story of your life, the work that you're doing, it's so profound. So again, I just want to thank you for joining us. Let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? I am a native New Mexican. Dad was a promising football player from Louisiana, got recruited to the University of New Mexico, met mom, actually went on to play in the NFL. So I was born in Los Angeles and we only spent a very short while there while I played for the Rams and then ended up in Albuquerque. So that's where I went to high school and undergrad. Growing up, what was your experience with animals in general? I had a very strong connection with animals and I was this very awkward looking kid. I'm biracial and I have this really crazy wiry hair and these big buck teeth. And this is back in the 70s. So people really didn't know what I was and I was teased and bullied quite a bit. I remember going home on many occasions crying to mom and dad. And I always just found comfort and solace in our pets. Yeah. And I would imagine that feeling of otherness has certainly informed your work throughout your life. It's certainly given me a perspective on what it feels like to be on the other side. Yeah. When you have people judging you, making comments, in some cases threats, but just not treating you like a human being at times. Yeah. At what age was it that you decided or had this idea that you wanted to become a veterinarian? This is a profession where I think the path is illuminated at a very young age. And for me, it was seven years old. I remember it distinctly because I came out of a movie. It was about a majestic black horse and a boy that was laughing and crying. And I sat there just transfixed in this film, The Black Stallion. When I walked out, I said, when I grow up, I want to be an animal doctor. From that moment forward, That was it for me. I never strayed. Incredible. So you went to Colorado State University for your veterinary program. You moved to California, but there was a certain time in your career when you started to work in shelter medicine. Can you talk a little bit about that period in your life? When you get out as a veterinarian, probably like any profession out of school, you're trying to just find your way. We're looking for a good fit for us fits our values, our skill set, people we get along with. And so you do that. You're just traveling journeyman for a while. And I had been to a few practices and then landed with this group of hospitals called Vetco. These were hospitals within the Petco retail centers. Uh, okay. And I climbed the chain very quickly. So within five or six years of practice, I was chief medical officer of this group of hospitals. And 
was learning sort of the corporate world and getting my chops. It was a great feeling. But then for personal reasons, I had gone through divorce and we were living in Southern California at the time. My ex moved to Northern California, where she's from. And just to be close to my boy, who at the time was about a year and a half of age, I moved to Modesto, California. And Modesto is this smaller rural town. I moved in 2007, about the time of the recession. Yes. I was looking for a job. I took a job. The county shelter had not had a veterinarian for two years. And so they were suffering. They were underwater. Their euthanasia rates were through the roof. They couldn't adopt animals. They're working out of this very old antiquated shelter and hit very hard by the recession. So I decided to take on the challenge without any experience prior, become a shelter vet. Wow. I have had a lot of experience working in shelters and I had this amazing dog named Tiny Tim who was a three-legged pit mix. And when he died, I started to volunteer at the city shelter in New York City. And the shelter has really evolved and changed. But at this time, there was a large euthanasia rate. And there would be groups of independent rescue people coming in, getting the names, trying to figure out how can I pull this dog? How can I get them into a foster situation? What can I do? How can I save this dog? But it was really traumatic. And so I imagine that working in the shelter system and experiencing the amount of euthanasia would take its toll on somebody. It does, and it did for me. And I hit a very low point in not just my career, but my life. You know, you have to understand, and you started to touch on it. At my municipal shelter, the euthanasia rate was high. It got worse during the recession. People are just dumping their animals. They don't have the resources to care for them. In some cases, even feed them. Yeah. What a lot of people don't understand about a municipality is we have to take animals, no questions asked. Yes. You can stop right there at the front door, drop the leash and walk away without any explanation, filling out any paperwork, and it becomes our responsibility. And so when this is happening, dozens and dozens of animals every day, and you're overloaded and your staff is stretched and the resources are low because we're only allocated so much money from the city or the county, it got tough. And I put on this robotic workmanlike attitude to be a morale booster to the girls. My staff was almost all young females. Just to keep us moving forward, I had to put on the good face, but I would go home many nights and question my choice of career. It just started to break me. And there was a moment where I just thought, I can't do this anymore, and I was going to quit. I remember working in the city shelter. I ended up getting an ulcer because even as a volunteer, just that idea of these beautiful, many adoptable dogs and cats being euthanized just because of space or budget. The guilt that you carry around is hard. I still carry some today. Yeah. Boy, that's a lot. So I understand there was an aha moment that happened. Can you share that with us? At the time, it didn't seem like much. We have those little moments, those crossroads in our lives where it just seems like maybe an ordinary day. On this day, I was going into the shelter, at this point doing everything I can to hang on. And this is probably my third year into the job. And I just sat in my car at a 7-Eleven that I usually stop at for gas or coffee. And I sat there and mulled over some options. I thought maybe I'd just go home and write my letter of resignation to the shelter. Mm-hmm. As I have all these jumbled thoughts going through my head, I step into 7-Eleven and I'm walking out with my coffee. And as I'm walking out the door to my left, I see an unhoused man and his dog. I'd seen this same man before a handful of times and regrettably ignored him every time. But for whatever reason, with all the thoughts in my head or the way I was feeling, I broke pattern and decided to step over and talk to him. 
I noticed as I got closer, his dog had some sort of serious skin issue. And this dog was miserable. I could tell the man was miserable himself. And I just said, my name's Quan Stewart, a veterinarian. I see your dog has an issue, a skin issue. He said, yes, I don't know what to do. I don't know what it is. She can't sleep at night. I'm not sleeping. And he just looked desperate. Fleas can start off mild and innocuous, but if a dog or cat has fleas for long enough, it can just completely destroy a dog's skin. And I said, if you're here tomorrow, I'll return with something that I think will work. And I did. And it was a few dollars out of my pocket, a few more minutes of my time, treated the dog, saw the same dog about 10 days later, and she was completely transformed. She was wagging her tail. Her hair was coming back. Her skin was starting to look healthy again. And this is the moment that still gets me. The man sitting in the same spot, sitting down, looked up at me, and with tears in his eyes, he just said, thank you for not ignoring me. And that was the moment for me. I went into work. (laughs) I was able to push through work that day and many days beyond. And I just carried that moment with me. And I said, I'm going to get back to doing more of this, saving animals on my terms. When I started doing more of that, it started to restore a piece of me, a piece of that child that wanted to go into the profession and save animals. It started to come back. So talk to me a little bit about what that was like those first few days, weeks, months when you started to walk the streets and start to find this new inspiration for yourself. It was new to me. And at times I was a little nervous or unsure how to approach people. Really, my first kickoff was hosting a little pop-up clinic. And so I just got a fold-up table and set it up with some basic supplies. And I went to a soup kitchen where I just went down the line and anybody with a dog, I just asked to step over if they'd like, and I'd give free service or free care of their pet. And estimates say that about 20% of our unhoused own a pet. That probably rang true in this line. There was probably a line of maybe 50 people. And I'd say about 10 of them had a pet. And they came over and I just offered my services. Some of it was wellness care vaccines. Some of them had some issues that I needed to address. In this line, I heard more than once, hey, I got a friend who has a dog who lives under this bridge or in this part of town who couldn't make it. Do you think you could go to him or her? And I just thought, why not? Of course I can. And one day I packed up a bag and I just started walking the streets. It's been a 12-year walking journey. And I can't tell you how much I love the surprise moment of turning a corner. And maybe behind a dumpster, there is someone who's got their little tarp or tent or sleeping bag and they have a pet. And I just slowly approach them and I introduce again who I am and what I do. And because these animals are so special to them, when someone almost drops out of the sky and is willing to give free compassionate care to the thing they love the most in the world, there is this transfer of energy and emotion that I still have trouble describing. This is something that I've read about, and it's something that you've been quoted as talking about, this idea that with the people who are homeless, their relationship with their pet is even more poignant for so many different reasons, and that they really are some of the most remarkable pet parents that you've ever encountered. Can you speak a little bit about that, please? There's a reason we carry the mantra, no judgment, just help, because I think I had a lot of prejudgments. What I've learned is I don't know their past or their history. I don't know their struggles. I've learned in a lot of cases, these people didn't have the support. All of us are going to trip and fall. It's a bad divorce. It's a period of addiction. It's some depression. 
when we fall into these holes, it's usually only the support of others, our family, our friends, our loved ones that bring us out. And if you don't have that, where would you be? I want people to ask themselves that. Where would they be in their moment of crisis? Where would they find themselves without the help? And so I feel like for a lot of these people, they just didn't have the support growing up. And this four-legged creature is all of those things to them. They are support. They are hope. They are love. They are inspiration. As one lady told me on this street corner in Skid Row, she says, my whole reason for getting up every day and feeding him is he knows or I know that if I'm not there, something's going to happen to him. And I have to keep it together for him. And if I don't keep it together for him, I don't know where he'll be. He is everything to me and I know I'm everything to him. And then she went on to say, I'm going to get off this street corner and I'm going to get a yard. She says, I'm going to school right now. I'm taking some classes. I'm going to get my education. And I've made a promise to him that one day I'm going to get him a yard. And that is what got her up every day and kept pushing and moving. And this woman had nothing but a sleeping bag and a tent. And she had more positivity than 95% of the people that I ever meet in my own clinic. Wow. I want people to know and understand. I've been a veterinarian for 25 years. I've seen it all every physical ailment, every behavioral problem. And these are the most socialized, well-behaved dogs I have ever met, hands down. I will challenge anybody who's taken their dog through thousands of dollars worth of training, (laughs) and I'll put them up against that street corner dog because these people are with their pet every moment of every day. They socialize them, they talk to them, they love them, they hug them. They're not putting them in a backyard and going to work. The noise of cars going by, people walking through the sidewalk, yelling, all the things you can imagine on a busy city street, these dogs are accustomed to. And they come, they heal, there's no leash, they walk with them right by their side. It really is just something to marvel at. And most of the people that I meet in clinic, we're talking ordinary people with homes, they don't have that relationship. They can't tell stories like that about their pet. So for that reason and so many more, I really do respect a lot of these folks I meet on the streets. Absolutely. Having this pet, I imagine it keeps the people who are in so many ways marginalized and disconnected, keeps them connected to society and connected to the world. And that's something I've heard over and over again, that if it wasn't for this little four-legged creature, I probably wouldn't be here. Juan, I know that you have so many great stories about all of the people that you've met and their dogs on the street. One in particular that really struck me is the story of Walter and Dinker. I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about them. Walter was a drug addict for about 10 years. And in his words, hooked on just about every illicit drug you can think of, couldn't get clean, was in and out of rehab, couldn't hold a job because of his addiction, and was living on the streets. One day, he heard this whimpering come out of a dumpster. And he went to the dumpster And inside, rummaging in the trash, was this six-month-old puppy. Walter rescued that puppy from the dumpster, ended up naming him Dinker. And as he's telling me the story and crying, he said, Dinker saved his life. And he wasn't overstating it because when I met Walter and Dinker, by this point, Dinker was six years old. And Walter said, I've been clean for exactly six years. Wow. He said, this dog has been more powerful in any medical treatment I've received my whole life. He just kept looking at Dinker and stroking his neck and petting him. And he couldn't put it into words why this dog is a lifesaver, but he didn't have to really explain right. it. I could see it. Also really gravitated to the story about Bill and Eli. Tell me a little bit about their story. 
Bill's claim to fame was the longest living homeless person in the city of LA. And I don't know how he verified that, (laughs) but he had been unhoused for almost 20 years. And for 13, 14 of those years, he had Eli Manning, as he called him, because he's a New York Giants fan. (laughs) And him and Eli, they were just a bonded pair. You know, he said he's his brother. He's everything rolled up into one. And he said he'd probably be in a dark hole himself if it wasn't for Eli. And Eli had a number of conditions. He was getting up there in age. I just happened to find him when a lot of these things needed to be addressed. And we got Eli into the hospital. I removed the tumors. We did a dental. So we cleaned up his teeth. And Eli came out a brand new dog. And on the day I handed the leash over to Bill, Bill got emotional as well. And he said, I know this is going to buy him some more years and it's going to buy me some more years. So Quan, after treating all of these thousands of pets, at what point did you start the nonprofit project Street Fit? I started the work solo. I was a one-man band for many years. That was around 2011. The other thing that not a lot of people know is I did it in secrecy for six years. I didn't tell my family. I didn't tell my friends. It was sometimes after work. On a weekend when I had time, I'd pack a bag and I'd just start walking. And that was my therapy. I didn't talk about the work at all. I guess I didn't want to be judged myself. I didn't want to be at a dinner table or a dinner party, for example, and have someone say, so I hear you're out walking the streets helping homeless dogs. Why would you do that? I don't think those people even deserve pets. I didn't want any negative attitude or response. I just want to go out and do the work. And the better part of seven years, there was no established charity. And finally, one day, I have one younger brother. We're very close. I shared it with him. And his thing was, man, why didn't you tell me? And I explained to him. And he jumped on board and we went full steam with this thing. That was the birth of the street bet around 2019. And here we are now with quite a robust charity. My brother helps run the charity. I never thought it would be here. There was a time where because I was funding this thing myself out of my own pocket, because I wasn't telling anybody or asking for money, I would just pay for these procedures, pay for the medications myself. It got expensive at times. There were times where I couldn't pay my own student loan. But I made a commitment to do this for these animals. But now we are so well-funded because people are so generous. I never have to turn an animal away. And now we have street vet teams popping up all over the country. So I have what we call street vet disciples. These are veterinarians that reached out to me, hearing of my story and some media outlet or seeing it on social media and just reached out and said, I want to do what you do. Can I do what you do in my city? And now we have veterinarians and street vet teams in Orlando in Atlanta, in Washington, D.C., L.A., San Diego, and we're going up to San Francisco. I want street vet teams in every major city in America. Absolutely. I want to be able to offer this service to those struggling with resources or money. As long as I have breath in me, I'm going to keep doing this and keep advocating for the work. It really was just my little secret crusade. But I've realized now that there is so much more to offer through the stories and through the awareness. And together, I think we can really do some neat things. What I love about it is that it's so intersectional too, touching upon so many social justice issues, all encapsulated in this work. And by helping one aspect, you're helping many other aspects of the story. And I wanted to ask you about your book, What It Takes to Save a Life, A Veterinarian's Quest for Healing and Hope. Talk to me about the book. The book is a lot of what I just shared with you. It's a collection of my favorite stories. I have hundreds of stories. I pick my best 10 or 12. I go in pretty deep into the characters, 
people I meet, the pets, the relationship, and what I learned walking away from them. And laced against that is my own story as well, because I felt like it was important to give context to how I got to this point in my life, to this point in my career, and how I think I had a very healthy early respect for people who struggle. And I think that is part of what led me to the work. And I go into my theory on why veterinary professionals have the highest suicide rate amongst any care professional. There was a point in my life when I was actually suicidal myself. I discussed that because I feel like that's an important topic for us to discuss more than ever. But at the end, it's wrapped in this ribbon I like to call kindness because if I'm asked what my big lesson is from all of this, it is that kindness is free and kindness is really a superpower if you think about it. And I know that may sound a little cheesy, but I will tell you the power of giving your time and your compassion to another human being that is in need is a very powerful thing. The title of the book was simple, What It Takes to Save a Life, because on that day outside of 7-Eleven, I was at a low point, one of the lowest points in my life. And while I thought I was helping or saving this pet, it was really helping and saving me. I think that the fact that presented itself and that opportunity that you had, obviously it changed your life and it changed their life. But when we have that opportunity to help somebody, for me, it makes me feel alive. There's nothing like it. It's something that we can all access. I'm so fortunate to have found this profession. Yes, it's been tough at times, but as many people or pets that I've helped or saved along the way, they've in turn saved me. There is a saying that I like, no one will ever touch you so lightly, they won't leave a trace. And I'm sure I've done my share of helping and touching people through the years, but in turn, they've touched me Gosh. and left a very indelible, beautiful trace in me. So for our listeners out there, you can find the book, What It Takes to Save a Life, A Veterinarian's Quest for Healing and Hope, through HarperCollins or wherever you get your books. Also, I encourage folks to check out your nonprofit at projectstreetvet.org to learn more, donate, and to support to the cause. It's brave work that you do, Quan. Thank you. When I first started talking to Quan, I got very emotional. I find it so admirable how Quan organically developed his Project Street Vet nonprofit and how his story has inspired other vets across the country to join the efforts in their own locations to contribute to a better world for all involved. Because I think that so many towns are really struggling with the unhoused population. And these are people that are so loving and involved and caring as dog parents, but need our help. And in our shared love for furry friends, we may find more compassion and understanding for those living on the street and caring for their dogs. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is made by, as it should be, a production company and content studio. It is made with the support of Scott Benaglio, executive producer, and Jack Summer, our producer and editor. Special thanks to Daniel Lampert, our neighbor and composer, for creating the music for the show. You can follow Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow our show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. To sign up for our monthly email newsletter, you can go to dogsavethepeople.com. On the website, you'll also find show merch in our online gift shop. 
This includes shirts from the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, where profits go to supporting independent rescues and shelters. If you have any questions or submissions, please drop a note to the email address bark at dogsavethepeople.com. New episodes come out every Tuesday, so see you next week for another episode from Dog Save the People. Enjoy a walk with your dog outside and make it a great day for both of you.